The topic that we're looking at today really stirred up a lot of emotions for me, and I think we'll hit close to home for many of you, too. Today, we are going to be talking about maternal mental health and OT. We're going to begin our podcast by looking at a journal article that is a call to action to support the positive mental health of new mothers, particularly during this pandemic time. And whether you approach this article as a pediatric OT, an OT who specializes in maternal mental health, or as an OT who is also a parent, or just simply an involved community member, I think that you're going to find there's a lot of important takeaways for all of us, and really all kinds of levels of support are needed when we're talking about supporting new families in this way. So after we spend some time just going through the article, I'm really excited to bring on our guest, Dr. Carlin Rayom. She is an OTD, OTRL, PMH-C, and PCES. We'll circle back to those specialties later in this podcast, but essentially Carlin is an occupational therapist, maternal wellness specialist, and she is the owner of her business, Supported Mama. Her and I will discuss ways that you can support maternal wellness in your OT practice and ways for you to become even more deeply involved in this practice area. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where we review new and influential OT journal articles, then invite on an expert guest to help us pull out actionable takeaways that you can implement in your practice starting today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And before we dive into this topic of maternal mental health with Dr. Carlin Rayom, I wanted to let you know that this podcast may count as continuing education for you. You are probably listening to this podcast on a free podcast platform, but to gain continuing education credit, you will need to be a member of the OT Potential Club, our OT evidence-based practice platform. And to gain that CEU credit, all you have to do is sign into the club, take our five-question test, and we'll generate a certificate for your time today. So bearing in mind that this could count as a continuing education course for some of you, I wanted to state our two learning objectives so you can be thinking about them throughout the course today. Our first learning objective is that you will be able to describe how promoting maternal wellness can impact the health of your pediatric client. And our second learning objective is that you will be able to identify maternal mental health screening tools that can be used in your OT practice. So let's begin by breaking down this journal article before we bring Dr. Rayom onto the podcast. The article that we are looking at today is the promotion of positive mental health for new mothers during COVID-19. It comes to us from the World Federation of Occupational Therapists Bulletin, and it was published in 2020. So in breaking down this article, I want to start with the purpose of why it was written. Research is just really backing up what many of us are experiencing in our own personal lives and in our communities, that the pandemic is just exacerbating mental health issues. And one can imagine how this would be true for new mothers. So many families' birth experiences have been impacted by COVID-19 protocols during the actual birthing process. And then that is followed by just increased isolation once the family arrives home. And honestly, we are just at the very, very beginning in the research process of understanding what OT's role is in this situation. So in this article, what we're going to find is a case study and a call to action. The authors begin by kind of outlining what we already know about maternal mental health. And even though the pandemic is new to us, we just have years of studies to help us start to ground our understanding of maternal mental health. The birth of a child is such a complex time, and there are unknowns basically just at every step. But some things that we do know from past research that are stated in the article is that first, mothers are at risk for developing both prenatal and postpartum depression which in turn can potentially lead to bonding issues, which may in turn impact the development of the child. The second thing that they highlight from past research is that birth trauma can lead to this series of negative side effects that includes postpartum depression and then feeding difficulties. So when you take that established maternal mental health knowledge and start to layer on top of that, the COVID-19 pandemic, what we're finding is that this pandemic is adding complexity and burden to just an already complex situation. The authors highlight some early research into this topic, 
Three studies that they mentioned was in one, they found that pregnant women are at higher risk of developing anxiety and or postpartum depression during this COVID-19 pandemic. One study in Japan showed increased anxiety and stress among new mothers, along with decreased attachment and bonding with their infants during the pandemic. And another study out of China showed increased depression, increased isolation, and increased sleep disturbances for new mothers during the pandemic. So from there, the authors transitioned to starting to talk about the role of occupational therapists in this. An OT may enter this complex maternal mental health journey through multiple avenues, but most commonly, we enter the picture when the infant starts to experience a delay. The authors of the article pay particular attention to the entry point of pediatric OTs that come in to address feeding difficulties as one of the most common entry points for occupational therapists into this journey. And the authors contend that OTs who work with feeding difficulties need to understand the potential relationship between the socio-emotional concerns of the mother and those feeding issues. They highlight that many experts view feeding disorders as a disruption of the mother-infant dyad relationship. And because both the mother and infant are inextricably linked in this dyad relationship, both the mother and the infant really need to be attended to by the occupational therapists. So to illustrate this, the authors give a case study that illustrates what attention to maternal mental wellness can look like and its potential impact on the mother-child dyad. I encourage you to just get this article and read the case study in full. I found it to be a really moving story, but for our purposes here on the podcast, I'm just going to let you know kind of the high points. The authors present the story of a new mom whose birth experience is highly impacted or basically worsened by the pandemic. She ends up having a traumatic and basically lonely birth experience due to the COVID-19 protocols. And this just kind of has a ripple effect until eventually the infant is referred to occupational therapy for feeding difficulties. And here's some of the notable steps and approaches that the OT takes when they enter the picture. During the evaluation, the OT practices active listening, they give a comprehensive interview regarding the mother's traumatic birth experience, and they perform a maternal mental health screen. During the intervention, continued time is spent on understanding the mother's experience and its impact on the baby. The OT provides traditional feeding and lactation intervention, and then the OT also helps the mom mobilize support systems, and the mother becomes involved in a virtual OT-led support group. And then by discharge, the mother's milk supply had increased. She had gained skills to manage stress in occupational roles. And the mother was planning to continue in the virtual support group. So what do the authors say are the implications for OTs based on this case study and the maternal mental health research that they presented at the beginning? The authors say that occupational therapy professionals who support pregnant women, new families, and infants need to be aware of the additional stress that is being brought on by the pandemic. The authors contend that OTs should be performing mental health screenings to support the health of the mother-child dyad. In fact, they go so far as to say that it is time for all pediatric OTs to include formal mental health screening for new mothers. And they kind of wrap up this call to action by sharing free screenings for maternal mental health that OTs can be delivering. The three that they mention are the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale, the Postpartum Social Support Screening, and the Mental Health Screening Form. I'll link to these and the information about them in the OT Potential Club. They also include a list of certificate trainings for maternal mental health, and I will link to those as well in the show notes and within the club. So that wraps up our breakdown of the article, and I am so excited to bring on our guests to just further discuss this topic. As I mentioned, our guest is Dr. Carlin Rayom. Carlin has more than 15 years of experience as a therapist and educator. Utilizing her clinical expertise in lifestyle redesign, she has focused her career on expanding occupational therapy's role in non-traditional and emerging practice areas including workplace wellness, college student health, and maternal health. She holds specialty certifications in perinatal mental health through Postpartum Support International and Pregnancy and Postpartum Corrective Exercise through Core Exercise Solutions. 
Dr. Rayom is also a registered yoga teacher, a certified postpartum doula through Cornerstone Birthwork Training, and a graduate of Loyola Marymount University's Yoga Therapy Treatment Certificate Program. She launched Supported Mama in 2020 as a way to provide holistic support for women on the journey before, during, and after pregnancy. Dr. Rayom graduated from the University of Southern California with her doctoral degree in occupational therapy. And she currently serves as assistant clinical professor for the Doctor of Occupational Therapy program at the University of the Pacific in Sacramento, California. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome Carlin onto the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Carlin. It's great to have you. Hi, Sarah. I'm so happy to be here today. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so thankful to have you here. Every time I do a podcast, I go for a walk beforehand to like clear my mind. And I was just feeling so emotional on this walk. Mm -hmm. This is such an emotional and personal topic for so many of our listeners. I'm a mom of two. But I think for me, even if I hadn't had the motherhood experience, we just see this issue so much in our communities, in our OT mm -hmm. practices. And mm -hmm. as OTs, we have so many skill sets to bring to it. But I think sometimes we don't know how to leverage that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm so thankful to be talking with you about this today, both for people who are interested in going deep into this practice area possibly, but also just for all OTs. I think we all mm -hmm. have a role to play in supporting this maternal mental wellness. Yes, I absolutely agree. And, you know, the article we're going to be exploring a little bit in more depth is such a poignant case example mm of really a variety of different traumatic circumstances that unfolded for this one mother and her experience. And as OTs, we tend to have a high level of empathy mm -hmm. anyway. And so I think that the story in this case really will resonate with people, whether or not they are parents, but just yeah. kind of the empathy around all of the layers of stress and trauma in this mm -hmm. case. Yeah. Yeah, before we get specifically to the article, I would just love to hear about your background. I guess I have a two-part question for you. First, <laughs> how did you find OT? Mm -hmm. And then how did you find maternal wellness in that? Absolutely. Probably like many people, I did not know about the profession of occupational therapy when I was growing up. And even when I started my undergraduate education, I ended up transferring to USC, the University of Southern California, to complete my bachelor's degree. And I was studying psychology at the time just because I found it really interesting. And outside of school, I also moved to Los Angeles to pursue a professional dance career. And so I really was interested in movement, the body, physical well-being. And also I had this interest in mental health and well-being and all of that. And so I, it probably is no surprise when people from the occupational therapy department came to some of my undergraduate courses to let us know about this profession. When I started learning about how holistic it was, how it incorporated all of these different areas of interest anyway, how USC had you know, such a strong program, it was right there in my backyard. And I just immediately fell in love with it. And I had already almost completed all of the prerequisites just from like natural areas of interest. And I thought like, this sounds like a dream profession for me, knowing that I would also have access to lots of different types of populations, different types of, you could work with in communities, you could work in institutions, hospitals, clinics, just the variety that was available to me in the profession was very appealing. And so I continued on at USC for my master's and my OTD. And USC, the chair of the program at the time was Dr. Florence Clark, and she was instrumental in kind of building this concept of lifestyle redesign and how can we use occupation to prevent chronic conditions and illness and really promote an enhanced quality of life for all people. And that really spoke to me because, you know, everybody at all stages of life, there are ways in which you could support overall health and well-being, things you could do to enhance your overall quality of life. And so um, I started getting really interested in prevention and wellness. 
And for my doctoral work, I focused on lifestyle redesign, developing a workplace wellness program. And I worked in that area for a couple of years after I completed my OTD. And then I shifted direction to college student health and wellness. And I worked actually with college students in mental health for a long time, looking at that time of transition, what it's like to be a college student from coming from high school. So I was really interested in looking at times of transition, and I looked at college student mental health for a long while, and I worked in years there. And it wasn't until fast forward several years later that I became pregnant in 2018, and I gave birth to my daughter in 2019. And it was immediately clear all of the ways in which everything in my world shifted. (laughs) My daily habits and routines were different. My role was all of a sudden different. My connection to my body, how I felt in my body, the space that I had available to engage in activities to help with my stress levels, like my coping strategies had to be different. And so everything changed. And I felt under-equipped, to put it lightly. I'm totally unprepared and shocked that I was having such a difficulty with managing that transition. And I thought very quickly, like after my daughter, I remember even within the first like two months of her life, I thought occupational therapists need to be in this space. There's so many ways in which I know that OTs would be valuable to support people during this time of transition in all ways. Because it felt so segmented. Like I had, you know, a six-week visit with my physician. I had, I did have a postpartum doula who I'm so grateful for. Um, I knew there were different lactation support resources, but I had debilitating postpartum anxiety. The idea of getting my daughter, like making sure she was changed and fed and the timing was just right to get to a visit or try to get to some kind of a lactation consultant appointment or try to get out of the house in any way to meet with some kind of specialist, all of that just felt so overwhelming and basically impossible that it created such a barrier. And I just stayed at home, you know, wondering how people do this. That was really what it was, you know? And I think a lot of what we see out there, like certainly in social media, but I also think a lot of people don't openly share their struggles. And so when you are a new parent who's struggling you're looking for models of other people in the community that also are struggling. And all you see are people that seem like they have it together or like seem like they're making it work and they're out running errands. I remember like going to the grocery store and seeing a parent breastfeed their child while walking down the aisle. And I, I had breastfeeding challenges. Like it was very uncomfortable for me. Like the positioning needs to be just right. And it blew my mind to even think about doing that in any other place besides my one little chair with all my pillows just in a specific way. And, you know, and so that felt confining to me. I couldn't be out in the world doing other tasks, knowing I had to feed my infant every, you know, couple of hours and all of that. So all this to say, I had a a rough transition and it felt very clear to me. There were a lot of different ways in which occupational therapists could be helpful in this space. And so that really lit the fire with, you know, okay, how can I bring in the knowledge that I already have about promoting healthier habits, making small changes to your day-to-day activities in a way that will support greater health and well-being, how can I enhance my knowledge base around what the specific kind of time frame entails? How can I get some additional training, do some additional research to figure out what needs might be here? And then how can I try to meet those needs? And so it started often with me connecting with a lot of other occupational therapists in this space who were asking the same questions simultaneously. I was able to connect with a lot of people in social media and, you know, we would set up Zoom calls or phone calls to just chat and see, you know, brainstorm different ideas and consider different models of how we might be able to provide services and, So my daughter was born in 2019 and the seeds started there. And then I launched my business in 2020 to serve this population. Oh, it's such just an amazing story. I think I'm still digesting how you just experienced this problem firsthand, that segmentation of our healthcare. I think that's true for all levels of healthcare, but you feel that so acutely as a new mom. Mm -hmm. And then for you to be 
to link this to your OT training, I'm hearing it's not that you like saw an OT who was doing maternal wellness or had a model. You just saw the problem. <laughs> like, That's and right. I see how your background is a dancer and like in just awareness of your body, like maybe yes. made you more like able to verbalize that and be aware of that. Mm-hmm. So you saw the problem with a lot of clarity, <laughs> yes. but maybe didn't see the clearly a model of the solution. That's right. You know, I think it's interesting, you know, I definitely, so I talked about my postpartum anxiety a bit, you know, I definitely also had postpartum depression and a part of all of that was kind of like a detachment, like an observer. Mm. Like I, I was in my experience and also observing my experience. And because I didn't feel completely bonded to my daughter at the time, it very much was from this like observer space, Yeah, which was actually really positive in a variety of ways because I felt like I could clearly see (laughs) some of the gaps, some of the holes, some of the needs from this kind of emotionally detached space. And my background in healthcare, yes, really the gaps were clear. The fact that I had one six-week postpartum visit that was this was just pre-pandemic. So it was in person, but it was a group setting. And the physician pulled each of us aside. Uh, each of the birthing people were pulled aside. Are you having any complications or is there any con- anything you're concerned about? And if we said no, then that was it. There was no physical exam. There was no like expectation of, you know, I was a first time mom. I did not know mm. what was normal. Like yep. it felt excruciating to me. Like the sleep deprivation, the changes in my body, the like lack of strength, the isolation. <laughs> like, I didn't know if that was normal. It, I didn't feel comfortable in that moment to say like, I'm really having a hard time. Like for me at that time, it was, I need to just get through each moment, one moment at a time. And that felt scary to say out loud. And I didn't feel like I had the space actually to say that out loud. Like, who do I say that to? Yeah. So yeah, it's tricky. You know, when people are in that space of overwhelm and sleep deprivation, the answers are not clear. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is actually something that's a little bit tricky about working in the maternal wellness space is that if people don't know about you before they're in that space of feeling totally depleted, that is not going to be the time that they are going to reach out for you, likely. Yeah. Because, you know, when you have such limited bandwidth, you know, it's unlikely that all of a sudden are you going to start Googling local supports. Or maybe you Google them and you get a list, but it feels too like too much to make a call or schedule an appointment or that kind of thing. So I think that's a big barrier. Yeah, it's tricky. So how'd you go from feeling all this and observing all this to supported mama? How did that come to fruition? What felt clear to me (laughs) was that there are a couple of avenues as like, roads in, roads into this population and roads that felt like reasonable starting points for me too in my healing. And it felt clear that one area was through movement. And this is, you know, kind of a combination of pelvic health, returning to like re-strengthening your core, recognizing like what's going on with the physical body that continues to feel like an area where people will seek out services. Like if they're experiencing incontinence, that is likely something they will receive additional or look for some support around. For people who are used to being active or want to return to activity and want to know how to do that, how to do that safely, they might seek that out. They recognize the value of incorporating movement and so pursue it in that way. And that for me, given my background in, so I also teach Pilates and yoga. And so movement for me was a natural entry point. And so that was the start of Supported Mama was after I went through my journey and started talking about the challenges that I had, people informally would reach out to me and try to connect and ask questions about what could they do in their healing. And a lot of it was, you know, I'm feeling disconnected from my body or I had a C-section or when is it okay for me to start doing abdominal exercises or, you know, can I go on long walks? You know, I want to start running. Is that a good idea? Like they would just informally ask me those kinds of questions. And so I, I saw this need for support and education around that. And that felt like something that 
people would take time to go do. Mm-hmm. And so that was a natural starting point for me. And through that, I could incorporate kind of some of these mental well-being checks, mental well-being conversations. We could talk about how are you feeling overwhelmed? Are you feeling supported in the home? Is there anything you can ask of from your family, from your partner, any resources that you need to help you feel supported? We would have those conversations through movement. And that seemed like it opened up space to talk about things a little bit more. Um, So that for me was kind of the origins of supported mama. I've found that also mothers and parents will seek out support when it comes to, you know, infant growth. So feeding and lactation. And so that's a huge area and uh, opportunity. And there are a lot of OTs doing really amazing work in that space. I do not, I don't have a background with any kind of lactation certification. I do have a certification as a postpartum doula. And as part of that training, we did do several modules on lactation. (laughs) And what I learned by going through that coursework was how much more there is for me to learn about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. (laughs) And so, so I think that's important to be aware of. And I think as well that in terms of mental health, people have not been knocking down my door for mental health support. And what I have found in terms of maternal mental health is that only when it's really, 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 really bad or people are really, really struggling or really having difficulty functioning in daily life, is there an acknowledgement of, oh, I might need some additional support because this goes back to, you know, what I was speaking about earlier and, you know, in my postpartum experience where it was just a check-in on, oh, hey, how are you doing? If you don't know what's normal, like what kinds of thoughts, (laughs) you know, like what kinds of behaviors, like I remember feeling like on high alert, fight or flight. And this was my anxiety really predominantly, like at all times of the day, except when she was asleep, sometimes, unless I woke up to make sure, you know, is she breathing? Let me check on her. And if she was feeding, if she was latched and feeding, I knew that she was safe and okay. But other than that, like if she was... (laughs) awake and alert and engaging in the world, I was high alert, totally stressed out at all times. I presumed that all people function like that. Like, I I just thought this was normal mothering and parenting behavior. Mm -hmm. And I realized that not everybody is that way at all times. So if I would have had somebody who could have explained that to me a little bit more, um, realize like, oh, there are strategies or you can seek some support around that or more people that talked about their challenges with that. And maybe I would have known that was an area to, you know, to pursue in terms of services. So, yeah, so there's a, a lot to, to be worked upon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, as OTs, we really have such a strong foundation to do this work. I think when I speak with other OTs, either actively working in this field or interested in this field, it is kind of this like, oh my gosh, there's so many ways we can help. Where do I get started? How can I get started? Or there's so much to know. How do I know all of it? And I don't think you need to know all of it. I think, you know, I think we already know a lot. We have a really strong foundation to build upon. And I think there can be like a push to, oh, let me get certified in everything. Let me take continuing education courses and all of it. And I certainly am one for ongoing learning. That is definitely, you know, I love learning. Um, But in terms of like a starting point, I think it makes good sense for you to start in the area that you're most passionate about or that you already have a foundation in. Like for me, that was movement. Like that movement was what I knew. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, given a lot of the education that I'd already had in Pilates and, and then I could see how that related directly to some pelvic health principles. And, I, you know, as I dove into learning more about pelvic health and seeing the connection between posture and breath, and then I loop in this maternal mental health piece and movement and mental health and the connection there and what research, what we know about physical activity and movement and its connection to mood and energy and all of that. Like for me, it has been a natural starting point to have Mm -hmm. these conversations. And so I think for anyone interested in this kind of work, like finding that starting point that makes the most sense for you is the best way to start, you know, and then gradually building from that point forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's really what the article made me feel convicted about because they talked about, like, you may enter this journey with the mother-infant dyad from all kinds of directions. Like, yes. you might come in as a pediatric OT, mm-hmm. you might come in as a lactation consultant, mm-hmm. but we all have 
baseline of skills in areas that are outside what we like claim is our expertise. Like, yes, even if you're a pediatric OT used to working with infants, we can still talk to a mom about fight or flight. Like, yes, you may not be an expert in postpartum mental right. health, but maybe just general language like that is enough to help or to direct someone towards an online screening like yes we have that level and that level is needed like just what we would consider baseline that's needed yeah i agree with like as a new mom you're like what is normal and where you said so teases being like is what you're experiencing interfering with your day-to-day life mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if it is then it's maybe something we should look into that's right so yeah so i guess that kind of segues to what you thought of this paper and I guess the case study and then that call to action to be more active in screening for mental health or providing the opportunity for mental health screens, no matter what area that we're in. Yes, I absolutely think that there is so much potential there available for occupational therapists because, you know, this connects with what you had just said, you know, what are are some of our foundational skills active listening, you know, just being mindfully present with our clients. Like this is something I always speak about with my students is just don't minimize the value of that. Yeah. Having someone feel heard to, you know, look in someone's eyes, they know that you are there with them in that moment. That is so deeply valuable. And I cannot tell you again, from like a personal experience, I remember going to get like a cup of coffee one time and I had another, there was a a woman with an infant who was older than mine, but, you know, still she was baby wearing this infant. And she just looked at me. She said, how are you doing? You know? Mm -hmm. And the way that she said that I felt so seen. She was like there with me. She really was asking. It wasn't like, Oh, how's your, how's your day going? How, you know, she was there. I got a little tearful and I was like, I'm really having a hard time, you know? And I think as OTs in any setting, we can open up the door to that conversation And that might allow us to offer, we can say, you know, it's not uncommon. You know, sometimes new parents really struggle. You know, are you finding that you're having a hard time? Are you noticing that you're feeling like it's more of a struggle to get through your day? Or, you know, we can open up that conversation. And I know that this varies based on type of setting and, you know, all of that. But I I think that Knowing about some of the screening tools that are available, knowing that you have that as a resource, knowing that you can open that conversation, offer a screening tool, and you don't have to be an expert in this. You don't have to be an expert. (laughs) It would be great if more of us were more well-versed in it, but it's a good starting point to at least open the conversation, perhaps provide a screening tool to help the parent realize that some of what they're experiencing might require some more support than maybe they are currently receiving. I think it would be excellent if each OT in whatever setting they were in knew of some resources Mm -hmm. that were available, local resources, resources through Postpartum Support International has incredible online support groups. There are helplines and things that can just help point someone in the right direction if they're in a space where everything is feeling overwhelming and too hard. So we're positioned perfectly, I think, to be a voice of support and encouragement for next steps in terms of gathering more information, seeking out additional help, whether you're a pediatric occupational therapist or an OT who encounters new parents in whatever setting you're working in. Yeah, just opening that conversation by doing a check-in. Like, Mm -hmm. how are you doing? Can be so, so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I love first just like the concrete action of we should know what supports are available in our local area. We should know what free mental health screens like could just be available online. I agree with the in that state as a new mom, you're so like, what is normal as a new mom? Like, I don't have a baseline to compare to. Yeah, I would have been curious to take some of those screens Mm -hmm. back just because. Yeah, you just don't know what a baseline, and I think moms are curious. I see the biggest barrier is just, like, us having the courage to mm-hmm. be in those conversations, to be like, oh, tell me more. Yes. 
Yeah. Is that what you think is the biggest barrier? (laughs) Is it us? (laughs) I mean, I do think that's a big barrier because it's this like snowball effect. I think there's fear around, oh, well, if I give a screener and somebody scores very highly, then it's my responsibility to follow up with that. But I don't necessarily feel like an expert or where to point them, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a snowball. Like I don't even want to open that, (laughs) that can of worms. And so I think the more that as practitioners, you know, postpartum support international, it's incredible the resources that they have. Mm-hmm. So you have a sense of what are some signs, you know, that somebody is struggling, what supports are available. There's another organization called 2020 Mom that has a lot of resources around maternal mental health. Because I, I think once you know what you're looking at, then it's not as scary. And then you would hopefully feel more confident to at least start that conversation. Yeah. And as practitioners knowing, again, we, we don't have to have all of the answers, but Because a lot of times, so let's say like a pediatric OT, for example, you likely are having more interactions with the parents of that child than the parent is having with their medical provider about their Mm -hmm. postpartum health, right? We have that one postpartum visit. You have multiple prenatal visits, one postpartum visit, unless there are like specific concerns. Mm -hmm. But if they're, you know, going to therapy or have a child in therapy ongoing, you are having repeated exposures to that parent. So we are people that can really open that conversation and help provide some guidance and support. Yeah. Yeah. And if we have those concrete tools to send people to, Mm -hmm. that makes it less daunting. And if, I mean, this article was like, you should be doing this with every single patient. That's right. If we're mm-hmm. practicing that skill, we're mm-hmm. going to get better at it. And that might just be what it feels like is we're just practicing creating space for that conversation yes. if someone wants to have it. Yeah, that does require being kind of uncomfortable and being bold, yeah. <laughs> you know, being so passionate about this and understanding like when you understand deeply this connection, which makes good sense. Like if a parent is not functioning well, obviously that's going to have such a significant impact on that child. And then that leads over, I believe, you know, into the relationships within the whole family unit and within, you know, the community and it just, it expands. So the more that we can be fueled by that passion to support the parent in that interaction and knowing that, okay, their functioning is having this great rippling effect okay, then maybe that will, you know, empower the therapist to say, yes, I'm going to put myself out there and do something that feels a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to open the door. Like, tell me a little bit more about how you're doing. Like, are you feeling Mm -hmm. supported? Do you feel like you need any help, any additional help around anything right now? You know, that kind of conversation and just try it out and see how that goes. I mean, because how different might that look if we were able to have that conversation more more openly? Yeah. And your experience in your practice when you create space for conversations like that, do you find that moms are eager to share about their birth experience or how they're feeling or what's just been Mm -hmm. your personal experience with that? I will say yes. In general, the people that I work with have tended to be really grateful to have space, knowing that it's going to be a non-judgmental space where they can say, I am not loving this. I'm not loving every moment of this, you know, despite having the world, you know, say, oh, you must be loving every moment of being a parent. And oh, what a joy this is. I remember I was given a gift of a a shirt that said happy mama. And it was from a space of, you know, a caring friend who, you know, of course, you know, but I remember like opening that box and I just, it was really hard to open that box and receive this and feel like that is a shirt that I should proudly wear and want to wear, but it felt so inauthentic to who I was and what my experience was. And then it made me feel kind of like angry about all the like happy mama kinds of conversations that are out in the world where it's like, is everyone a happy mama? Like, can we talk about the things that don't feel, of course, I love my daughter, you know, and also there are things that are really hard and not pleasant and I haven't enjoyed. And I think that is very important to normalize. And so I have found with clients when that conversation is opened, there's almost a sense of relief where they're able to share the things that they are struggling with or where they feel like they need some more support And so I feel grateful to provide that conversation for them. You know, I just, I really believe the more that we all talk about this, the better it will be for everyone's mental well-being and just like healing and processing of 
traumatic birth experiences, birth experiences that maybe aren't even labeled as trauma, but just it's such a significant shift in so many ways. So even if you don't feel like it was traumatic in kind of our classical definition of a trauma, it's such a significant rupture really to like who you were, who are you becoming? There's just so much in that, you know, matrescence is what we, you know, call it this transition to motherhood, matrescence. Um, There's a lot there. So I like to open that conversation and and general clients are receptive and they know I don't push them to talk about things they're not ready to talk about too. So yeah, they tend to be really appreciative. Yeah. Yeah. It really pushes us as a therapist to create space and respond to whatever the client's ready for. And I always say on the podcast, I'm like, OTs can do that. All the OTs I know are, we are gifted at those kind of conversations. I think we need to, yeah, own that skill set. Every OT that I talk to has that capability to create space and to respond like with Mm -hmm. empathy to whatever the client says. Mm -hmm. So from the article, I'm, I'm just hearing... One, we can create space for conversation no matter what practice that we're in. Yes. We can know resources that we can have to direct our clients to free Mm -hmm. ones and other local providers that we can partner with. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask specifically for people who are interested in focusing their practice in this Mm -hmm. prenatal, postnatal time I guess just generally, what are the avenues to do that? You kind of said that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, can you speak more to that space? Yeah. I'm like, how many OTs are doing this? <laughs> sure. how, what's like the common yeah. pathways to like have a sustainable practice? Yeah, it's been really exciting and inspiring to just kind of have those conversations to see how different people are approaching it. But I'll kind of speak in general lumps of categories, you know, so I I think that there's a physical body (laughs) kind of category. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the pelvic health work, the prenatal postpartum exercise, looking at core strength, that kind of category. Then I think there's an approach focusing on lactation and feeding education there. I have known a few occupational therapists who focus on sleep and you Mm. can, I mean, there's so much, (laughs) a lot that, yeah, a lot of good work to be done there. And that's an area too, where I find that, you know, desperate parents who need sleep are going to be seeking out resources to support that. So that is a space where I think people are kind of more inclined to pursue services. So sleep consultation, that kind of avenue. And then from a space of kind of overall mental health, lifestyle prevention, like looking at, you know, fourth trimester planning, like that's something that I, you know, will do with mm-hmm. clients is, and especially clients who have had anxiety earlier on, like know they have a history of anxiety. And then during the pregnancy phase of pregnancy, that's an area where they are like, I really want to think about what is my fourth trimester going to look like? Do I have things in place? What resources can I utilize to be most prepared? So that's kind of been an interesting area of focus that I've worked on with some clients. And with the mental health piece of it, a lot of the protective factors that we know about supporting mental well-being are wrapped into kind of some of these healthy lifestyle habits, like trying to support good rest and sleep, eating well, moving your body, connecting with your social network, those kinds of things. And so kind of really being intentional and thoughtful around what resources do you have to support that? What is realistic and feasible to incorporate given your new daily routines as a new parent? So there's an area of work there. Um, I know some OTs who have approached this from more of a group approach. So running mom and baby or parent and baby groups, and maybe there's a, a portion of that that is focused on infant developmental milestones and kind of education around infant development. And within that, there's a conversation around you know, the well-being of the parent, <laughs> checking in for different mental health risk factors, doing kind of education and support around the identity of parents within the kind of child-parent group setting. So I think that's a really great model as well. So yeah, you know, there's no one right way. And that's what's exciting about this too, to me, is just kind of trying to figure out 
the right combination, you know, for me as a practitioner, like what feels right to me, how am I best able to reach people? What are people reaching out to me for the most? Like, how can I wrap all of this into a package in a way to serve my clients, you know, the most fully in Mm -hmm. order to, especially, you know, yeah, during this like really vulnerable and tender kind of sensitive time. So those are some of the different ways that it can look depending on people's backgrounds and interests. Yeah. And I see how we approach it from these discrete different (laughs) segments, kind of because those are the words that people are looking for, like lactation and continence. Mm -hmm. But I also just like, I just look at this area and I'm like, oh, I wish there were more holistic providers. That is crazy to me that they're like, on one hand, there's so many people that work in this space, like doulas and Mm -hmm. all kinds of things, but there's still this huge holistic care gap. Like how can OT help fill that? And how do we get there? That's like, I'm asking you the hard money question. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) What do you think of that? (laughs) I mean, yes, I, I would love for us to be the pioneers in this, you know, holistic maternal wellness centers, collective spaces where we have multiple different types of providers under one roof where people don't have to try to, you know, have all these segmented services. And I know like Apple Sepulveda, one of the authors of this article, she's involved in, you know, building some of that throughout the Los Angeles area. And I see so much potential ahead for us to spearhead this initiative and really be vocal about this and be vocal about the gaps be advocates. Um, Mm -hmm. 2020 Mom, that organization is really involved in maternal mental health policy and those kinds of efforts. And we need to be in those conversations to uh, help communicate our value in moving all of this forward. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I would love to see multiple OTs at, you know, owning these collectives throughout the world Mm -hmm. because, it makes good sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think some of the barriers to this is, you know, certainly what we've talked about in terms of like, you know, lack of confidence or uncertain about how to start or do I have the, you know, breadth and depth of knowledge that's needed. But I feel like that's a barrier that OTs have in lots of different areas. Like, you know, just recognizing our knowledge and our value of communicating that and just being bold and stepping into these unknown mm-hmm. areas and really moving things forward powerfully. So, this is a, a huge opportunity for us to do that. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Like I hear lots of these things and I'm like, these are things we already have reimbursement models for too. Like you can get reimbursed for public floor therapy. Like it's not even a policy issue or like a reimbursement model issue. It's literally a marketing issue. <laughs> is that right? Yes. I mean, yes, there's definitely a lot I of mean, it. There's that... probably more space for like better reimbursement models. Right. And like it's right. set up for us and we have OTs everywhere. That's right. Come into these roles. It's literally just like, what do we call mm-hmm. OTs in this space? And then let people know about it. I do believe that. Is that that. too simple? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say that I also, like, I've been in conversations with OTs doing this kind of work that are having difficulty getting reimbursed. Okay. Okay. So, so I think there are some things that still need to get figured out with some of the areas, like, let's say with like maternal mental health specifically and that kind of documentation and all of that. But I also think you are correct that there are a lot of these pieces in place. Yeah. So it's a combination, you know, of us, continuing to advocate for ongoing policy, you know, modifications and continue to make sure that our value is known. So we continue to get reimbursed and maybe can get reimbursed in spaces or niches that we're not totally getting, you know, our, our full payment. But I think the bulk of it is kind of in a marketing piece, you know, (laughs) with people kind of the broader population having a difficulty many times understanding what occupational therapists do period, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, and then specific to this space, like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, people are not seeking out, oh, I, I would like a maternal mental health occupational therapist <laughs> yeah. to support me during yeah. this challenging time, you know? Yeah. So I want that to change though, you know? Yeah. And so I completed my training through Postpartum Support International in 2020, mom, my perinatal mental health certificate. And as of December, there were slightly over 2000 people who had completed that 
training to get that credential, the PMHC credential. And when I look in the directory of PSI providers, I found 15 occupational therapists, Mm. 15 out of over 2000, you know? And so that's a place where they're can and should be more of us representing our profession to show the value, to be in the conversations with the, you know, psychologists, social workers that are working with people to show the distinct contributions we can make from our perspectives. And so I I do think a lot of it is marketing and advocacy as well. Yeah. If part of that's dependent on us banding together, where do we go to do that right now? Mm -hmm. Like, is there a conference yeah. I can go to? <laughs> is there question. a Facebook group? Like, yes. <laughs> or like for um, someone like me where I'm like, I'm not even launching a practice. I just want to like support us in this area. Where are those conversations happening? Absolutely. There are a lot of really great Facebook groups where these kind of conversations are happening. And so actually I created along with another OT, a website that's otsinmaternalhealth.com, where I've tried to compile some of these resources so people know, okay, here's a list of Facebook groups where I can get involved in the conversations. But, you know, there's a women's health for OT, there's OTs in pelvic health, there's OTs in postpartum care, there's an OTs in perinatal mental health, lots of Facebook groups to have those conversations. There's also within AOTA, the American Occupational Therapy Association, there's a women's health community of practice. And we have calls regularly um, where we'll talk about some of these kinds of issues and doctoral students will present on work that's being done in the area. We just have really inspiring, motivating conversations there too. So those are kind of off the top of my head, the initial places where you could really get plugged in and then you can kind of see what are some of the issues people are encountering? You know, you can learn about different certifications, different courses that are available. The Lactation OT is another great um, Facebook community and they've got a lot of great resources. But yeah, there are lots of different starting points. Okay. I mm-hmm. want to take all those and I'll link to them in our show notes. And Perfect. I can tell this conversation is just going to like open a can of worms for me of like Googling <laughs> after this. No. Oh. <laughs> In a good way, right? Yes, in a good way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I can't believe it. We're getting close to the end of our time. I really wanted to ask you some rapid fire questions just to kind of circle back to getting to know you and your practice a little bit better. Are you ready for those? I think I'm ready. Okay. What is the first sentence that you usually say to a new client? It's usually something along the lines of, you know, hi, I'm Carlin. I'm so happy to be meeting with you today and I'm here to support you. And, you know, and then from there, certainly like talking with them about what their goals are, but I want for my clients to know that I'm there with them, that they're not alone in whatever they're dealing with, that I'm there to collaborate and help them move forward towards greater health and well-being in their journey. Beautiful. Yeah. And how do you usually end a session? What do you usually send them off with? Within the context of a session, you know, hopefully we've identified some action steps that they can take forward, you know, some, something tangible that they can do or a resource or a tool that they will feel that they can use over the next, you know, until I see them next. So I will conclude usually by saying, you know, try that out. <laughs> Let me know how that works for you. And if it doesn't work, we'll figure something else out next time, you know, but I'm, I'm here for you. And please reach out if you have any questions before the next time we meet. Again, making sure that they know that like I'm invested in this relationship and they're not just left. I feel like too often it's like, oh, here's a handout. <laughs> yeah, yes. you know, there you go. So I want for them to really get that I'm, I'm, I'm present, I'm invested. Hmm. What's something that you've read recently that's inspired you as an OT? That is a hard one. (laughs) So reading for leisure is greatly reduced with my my very full life and my two-year-old. But (laughs) one book that I have not yet finished, so this won't be my full answer to the question, but it's The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, I really want to read that. that. Yeah. And so I've started it. I haven't finished it, but Mm. really looking at trauma and the impact on the body and the brain. But I did over the holidays, I was able to read The Midnight Library. Ooh, I haven't read that by also. It's also okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the idea of it is just kind of when we think about other versions of our life, you know, or Mm -hmm. what, what would have happened if we chose different paths. And that feels very relevant to me in this work, in this space, because 
I think a lot of times with this transition into parenthood, there can be kind of a questioning of like, Mm. what is happening? What is going on? There's some grief associated. There can be grief associated with like previous versions of your life Mm -hmm. or previous things you used to love to do. And it was a book that resonated for me in that way, kind of just kind of an acknowledgement of that openly and kind of an allowing for like life is unfolding as it should, you know, as it is, and just kind of being present with what it is. I'm, I'm very mindfulness-based in all of my mm-hmm. work. So that's just kind of like, okay, this is what it is. This is what's happening. These are the lessons I'm learning from this version of my life, you know, like this mm-hmm. life that I'm living. And so I enjoyed it from that perspective. Yeah. I can't wait to yeah. read it. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. And how do you hope that a client feels after their initial visit with you? I really hope that they leave feeling empowered and hopeful because I think the people that I'm working with tend to be in a space where they're feeling things feel heavy or overwhelming or just deeply challenging. And so if there's anything that I can do to help a person feel slightly lighter, more optimistic, or feeling like they have, you know, they know one step forward that they can take to, to be, you know, heading in a different direction in their journey. Uh, that's what I would love for them to leave our sessions with. That's beautiful. Has any final thoughts bubbled up for you that you would like to share before we sign off on this huge topic that we <laughs> covered today? <laughs> I just, I feel so grateful to be able to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. I feel so energized by the momentum around this. Like there mm-hmm. really are so many therapists already doing exciting work in this area. I'm excited about additional future conversations that are going to happen in this space. And I, you know, I open that, I welcome that. I love to brainstorm and problem solve and figure out how to move us forward so we can be at the forefront of this. I don't want us to miss this opportunity right now, Mm -hmm. you know? So I just really encourage anyone who has an inkling (laughs) that they might be interested in pursuing this work to really dive into that, you know, and it can be just how can you incorporate this already in your existing area of practice, but just paying a little bit more attention or attending to parents differently or approaching parents differently, or maybe it's diving into, you know, your own private practice really deeply and focusing on this work. But I, I think it's important it's more than that. It's like essential. It's like critical that we do this because we really need to serve this population. Well, Carlin, thank you so much for your time today. I started this conversation feeling emotional and I'm leaving feeling so energized and hopeful. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. Yes. Really, really happy to be able to have this conversation. Thank you, Sarah. Wow, you all, I was so energized by talking to Carlin. And if you're like me, you may want to just head straight to Google and keep learning more about this topic. And I did have three specific places that I wanted to recommend to you. The first is Carlin's practice website, which is supportedmama.com. During the interview, I realized that we weren't going to have time to talk about the specifics of her practice. So if you want to learn about how she packages her services and her pricing, I encourage you just to head to her website and you can see that information for yourself. It's so great to just look at the website of other OTs and see how they structure their services. Secondly, I really wanted to highlight Postpartum Support International or PSI. This is an online resource both for parents and providers. They have tons of helpful and free information. They have a hotline that you can call. And this is the kind of place where you can just keep in the back of your mind where you can send parents or where you can go if you have questions. They have support groups. They have loss and grief resources. They have lots of information around things like postpartum depression. So I really encourage you to check out this website. These people just seem like they are here to help. And this website just reminds me of kind of the upside of what me and Carlin were talking about. There are a lot of people in this space and there are people that want to help. And there are a lot of resources for you and for your clients. And finally, Carlin does help run the website otsinmaternalhealth.com. And this is just a great free resource where they try to compile all of the resources out there for OTs in this area. I'll definitely link to a lot on our course page, but honestly, I would go to this website as like the authority on the topic. And I would imagine that they'll continue to update the website as new resources come out. 
And last but not least, if you are interested in earning a continuing education certificate for your time today, what you'll do next is head to otpotential.com where you can log in, take a five question test and earn a certificate for your time today. We are so proud of the content that we have at otpotential.com. And we're proud to be a place where discussions like this can happen, where we can talk about the needs that we're seeing and what's working and what's not working in our OT practices. Okay, I wanted to thank you so much for joining us today. As always, I hope this podcast helps you broaden your knowledge, tweak your practice and stay evidence-based. Take care and we'll talk to you next time.